Hello, this is Bill Curley. And Holly Hudley. And welcome to the podcast In Between, which is an educational offering of St. Paul's United Methodist Church and Ordinary Life. You know, it's so funny, and I think that that voice will never completely feel natural to me. <laughs> the recording in progress. <laughs> welcome to floor three and a half. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but anyway. Who says that? I just had the Harry Potter, the disembodied voice in Harry Potter, who was in charge of the elevators, come in my mind. <laughs> After talking about Humpty Dumpty on Sunday in, in Ordinary Life, Scott Wells, the magician, uh, came up to me and said that he went to see the very first Harry Potter movie and he sat behind a little girl who was maybe... 10, 11 years old, and he leaned up and said something to her about seeing the film, and she said that she was really anxious because she already had a picture in her mind of how everything looked, and she knew the movie would change it forever. Yeah. Yeah, it does that, and it also enhances some other things. You know, it's like a really good architect can take the words out of your mouth and turn it into a home. (laughs) right? And say, I, I, I want this. How can we do this? You know, and they can turn it into something. Really good movies do that too. They, they give us this whole world to operate inside of. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, that's my favorite series. So we could make a whole podcast about that. Speaking of what we're going to do this podcast about, I anticipated that you would be brimming over with enthusiasm about the new space telescope oh my gosh right um it's so magnificent i can't tell you how many people have sent it to me hey did you see this Um, my dad josh two other friends um and it is so incredible to me because our deepening scientific technologies and awarenesses Um, also deepen for me my sense of mystery and awe at all that we do not know you know so simultaneously the more we know the more I feel just completely surrendered to how much we don't know so let me ask you a question yeah how do they know like I watch with uh, I've, I've read a couple of posts with just awe about what what this is discovering or what this is uncovering, revealing, whatever the right word is. And I, boy, it stirred up a lot of me. One of the questions is, you know, they sent this image back and says, this is 300 million light years away. How do uh, they know that? You know, I think that part of it, it must be on the refractory lenses, how much time it takes to get an image and then kind of, let me back way up we invented linear time, right? The universe may have a completely different idea about time than we do. It it, it could have, you know what I mean? So we use our understanding of time to put it into an understandable number, which gosh, billions of light years away is hardly understandable, (laughs) but you know what I mean? So I I think that, we, we put our concept of linear time onto universe time. But, you know, time on Mercury is very different than time on Earth because of its proximity to the sun. 
but we put our earth time onto our understanding of mercury time so that we have, it's okay. It's just like religion. We make stories about our understanding of spirit so that we can better understand the cosmos, right? We, but we impose our human, our human constructs onto it so that we can make sense of mystery. So I think it's just the way that I rest in that is go, oh, it's really, really far away. So. Well, they, they seem to know. Mm -hmm. um, I want to ask you a question that I don't mean to put you on the spot, but have you ever heard of a guy named David Abram? Yes, I love David Abram. Yeah, yeah. Spell of the Sensuous is a beautiful book. I highly recommend it, actually. What is it? Spell of the Sensuous. He's written a lot of books, but that's... I do, I do. I, I, wait, 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 wait. I just started reading that book. Oh, well, wonderful. <laughs> I've quoted it in it, our teaching before. One of my favorite, favorite quotes comes from that book. What do you, okay, so it's not, for me, a really easy read. No, yeah. It's, it's philosophical. Um, it's also... Um, you know, it, it's, he's such a beautiful writer that sometimes I feel like in reading it, I get more lost in the words and then I lose the thread of what he is talking about. Um, so I would say, take your time with it, you know, find those passages that really speak to you and, and dwell on those. <laughs> well, so what I was reading about this morning in, mm -hmm. in the book was the whole concept of phenomenology. Uh-huh. And he's mm -hmm. talking about how he's talking about the very thing that you're talking about and about mm -hmm. the fact that no matter how academic we get about things like what we call outer space mm -hmm. and what we call the what you're now talking about linear time, he has this phrase in the book about still the arc is the earth, the arc is not moved mm -hmm. because we still in spite of how much we claim to know intellectually, we still think we're the center of things. Mm -hmm. We the do. The sun rises, the sun sets. You know, we just got this way of thinking about that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so an absolutely, totally new paragraph. And I want to come back to the <laughs> telescope thing. Yeah. But the way that I found out about this book uh -huh. is that last week, after you and I talked, on a podcast that uh -huh. was probably the best we have ever done in the <laughs> entire history that we have ever been doing podcast. <laughs> Got lost in the ether. <laughs> it's at least 7 billion light years away, right? By now, you know? <laughs> uh, it's out there somewhere. Anyway, I had an hour long conversation with Jan Phillips. Yes. Yeah, yeah. She's coming. That's wonderful. We don't know when yet. Am I right? So yeah, we do. Well, we, do? we got two dates in January. Okay. And she's not responded yet. We can't do it this year. I want to do it this year. But our calendar here at St. Paul's is filled with other things and luminaries and all that starting in the fall coming with some other big name people coming uh -huh. so jan phillips is coming in in january anyway we spent an hour together on uh -huh. the Zoom, and it was an instant connection i mean i love this woman she's so energetic and bouncy and bright and she sent me a bunch of her material which i'll have to share with you mm -hmm. she's an artist 
she is a photographer she is a musician she is mm -hmm. a singer she's got these cds these books these cards that she sent just and i went whoa mm -hmm. this is this is really great stuff she's going to be a lot of fun yeah. anyway she mentioned this book to me she okay. said have you yeah. read have you read this book you mm -hmm. need to read this book mm -hmm. so i bought it immediately and then i've got like five or six books going in the morning i know and i started reading it and i thought wow this the, the the blurbs on the books the mm -hmm. reviews of the books one one reviewer said this is the most delicious nourishing book i've ever read well it certainly has the you know the sensuousness right this kind of i i started reading it around the same time that i watched the movie um, my octopus teacher and somehow oh, I the, love that movie. I do too. It's so beautiful. And somehow those two exist in reciprocity for me because you know his whole so I'll I'll read for you my favorite quote by David Abram. I did a quick search of it. It's actually in my dissertation. But he writes that we are formed in delicate reciprocity with the manifold textures, sounds, and shapes of an animate earth. Our eyes have evolved in subtle interaction with other eyes as our ears are attuned by their very structure to the howling of wolves and the honking of geese. To shut ourselves off from these other voices, to continue by our lifestyles, to condemn these other sensibilities to the oblivion of extinction is to rob our own senses of their integrity and to rob our minds of their coherence. We are human only in contact and conviviality with what is not human. And I just That's beautiful. love that. Yeah. And, and that to me sums up the entire book. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and also just this kind of, so that, the, that movie spoke to me in a way, of course, we're going to transpose, just like we transpose our understanding of time on the universe, we're going to transpose human qualities onto an octopus that we interact with, right? Um, the octopus gave me a hug. Does the octopus know it's hugging, right? But there's an interaction that happens and, and now I'm getting on another philosophical track, but um, Diatima and Plato's symposium had this word, the metaxis, and it means in between, which is part of why I love the name of our podcast, right? Because what happens is contact right? Whether the octopus knows it as a hug and, or the human being calls it a hug, there's something that happens in between that is unnameable, that is ineffable. And that space is always happening between us and every other thing. It's a transcendent space, you know? And let me see that I understand this correctly. The study of phenomenology is about the study of what happens in that space. And we make a mistake when we assume that our understanding of what happens in that space is the truth. Right. Because we don't know what that space is between the octopus and a shark. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. The octopus might think it's being chased. The shark might be going, I just want to give you a hug. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> no, I, yeah, but in all seriousness, there is this kind of numinosity 
that is always a fine layer between every being. And a being could be in, in, in many um, non-English languages, let's say specifically Native American languages, everything is a kind of person. So a mountain person, a tree person, a human person, right? So this belief that everything has a kind of sentience and, and, and the phenomenon is, is the in-betweenness. How do I encounter the mountain and how does the mountain encounter me? And that's, that's the numinous, right? And that, that's also true between human beings. There's a space. So today, so this, and now I'm pivoting, but Josh and I have had this week to ourselves because our kids are at sleepaway camp. For the first time in 12 years, we have a week, just the two of us at home. We have not had that wow. in 12 years. Wow. Wow. And we were talking this morning about nothing in particular. And I just go, and there was this feeling that happened between us. And then I named it. I said, I love being with you. But, but what, ha- what sparked the words was whatever that numinous thing was that happened between us. You know, and, and I think that that is always know. available to us. Mm-hmm. You know? Matthew Fox, the contemporary living, yeah. kind of mystic, radical. I, I'm not an authority on Matthew Fox. I've read his stuff and I know him and I have a deep appreciation for him. And I think, I truly think he is. Um, one of those people uh, like Ken Wilber, uh, he, would, he would fall in the category of somebody who is so far more developed than I am that I look at him and I think you're a little crazy, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Whereas he might look at you and go, you're a little boring. Is that what you're yeah, thinking? Yeah, he would, yeah, he, he would say, yeah. He would yeah. say that or stupid or ignorant. No. Which is one of the things that I can be so guilty of in thinking, you know, one of the reasons that we are polluting the planet and killing each other is because we're ignorant. People are ignorant, Mm -hmm. ignorant of our true identity. Anyway, Mm -hmm. in Matthew Fox's reflection on the James White, is that the name of the telescope? Keep going. I'll find it. Anyway, he said he he refers to what the telescope is telling us about Father Sky. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. our understanding is of Father Sky. So he names it. He personalizes it. Yeah. And um, the Nadia Bose Weber had something posted on her uh, website about wow, wow, wow. In light of this, mm-hmm. what does this do to? our understanding of nationalism and all the other things. Right. I, I, I hope this discovery doesn't get blown off or kind of looked over in the yeah. shuffle of what's going on in our culture right now, because I think it's really a big deal. It's a huge deal. And, and just to clarify, it's the James Webb telescope. <laughs> you know how when you know something, but when you're asked about it in the moment, it just leaves your brain. You could have said, what's your name again? And I would have been like, I don't know, come back to me. Um, <laughs> but um, so the James Webb telescope um, 
I just think, gosh, Hubble would love, would just be tickled to death to be alive right now. You know, Hubble, Einstein, any of these people who sort of began this, not began, but continued this inquiry into deep time. Um, and yeah, I hope it doesn't get overlooked too. And, and there's this tension because sometimes things like this feel so far out, so impossible to understand that they can be overwhelming and therefore minimized. You know what I'm saying? Like to the average human being, this is inconceivable to wrap our minds around that there's something living, some solar system so ancient, you know, that we can see. And I think one of the things that we are gripped by right now, I don't, I'm speaking so generally, so forgive me, is that we, we, we are gripped by an inability to imagine. And that's what fierce nationalism is about. That's what isolationism is about. That's what white supremacy is about. That's what separatism of any kind is about, is a lack of imagination. And I think we are gripped by this fear of imagination, if you will. And this is a moment like, to me, what it would be like to see God. You know, it's a burning bush moment. And, and, and I've learned this from you, and you correct me about this. We didn't invent this telescope. We reciprocated to an invitation from the universe to co-create this telescope. Yeah. Is that true? Yeah. So Matthew Fox, to return to him, has this way of saying, and Brian Swim echoes this, they're friends. Um, the universe is longing to be known. Yeah. And this invitation is there for us to know it, not just to know it, but to become one with it. And I don't mean melt away our individuality. I mean, celebrate our individuality inside of the space of knowing that we are deeply held by this mystery, you know? So I, I think this is one of the things that I learned from reading Brian Schwimm is that, you know, the, in the evolutionary process, humans develop ears and mm -hmm. it wasn't just for hearing, but it was right. so that, oh, we can create music. Yeah. yeah. But also, but also as David Abrams says, we developed hearing so that we could know ourselves in relation to, and also different from the wolf. Yeah. And feet to dance with. And feet to dance with and arms to hug with, <laughs> and bodies to make love with, you know? I mean, it's... Three, 300 million light years away is a long way. Mm -hmm. And it's an immense Carl Sagan's book, Immense Journey, or is that whoever, one of those people mm -hmm. wrote the Immense Journey book. Mm -hmm. Um... Lauren Isley. Lauren Isley. Wrote I love Lauren Isley. I love Lauren Isley. Yeah. 
Lauren Isley, Lauren Isley is the guy that I heard years years ago Rice speak, and he and in his talk he gave this story about the little boy who was throwing starfish yep. back into the ocean. I was going to say his book, story. The Star Thrower, is is the one that I have read most recently, and it's a beautiful book. It's um, it's an inquiry into what does it mean to be human is really what what the book is. Yeah. So it is arrogant and narcissistic of us to think that in the immensity of all this, we be the only homo sapiens. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Although on some other time space dimension, some other being creature might not refer to themselves as homo sapiens. That's right. It might be another, another name for a similar similar concept, you know, similar evolution. And it's, again, I mean, to me, this is like an invitation to lean into our wildest imaginations. <laughs> and we get those invitations all the time. I, I, I think to bring it back to earth for a second, we have that opportunity right here, right now. What is our wildest imagination about who we can be? about who we as humans can be. You know, if something can exist seven, 300 billion light years away, then it's possible also that we can exist differently. You know, we can show up differently. And I think that that's the space where of, of feeling terrified. Um, oh my God, what does this mean for me? <laughs> And so we cling to the known as opposed to kind of like rest in the unknown. So I have a colleague who went out and measured his windshield. Mm -hmm. Okay. I have a feeling this is a joke set up, but go ahead. <laughs> not a joke. It's oh, not okay. a joke. It's not okay. a joke. Okay. Um, he, he measured his windshield and then he got accurate measurements for how far it was across and how tall it was. And then he measured his rearview mirror. Mm -hmm. And he said that he wanted to do that just so that he would have the perspective that the people who invented the automobile and its evolution did so with an understanding that we would spend more time looking forward than backward. Mm. And he said that what had concerned him about what's going on in our culture right now is that people, because they are anxious and frightened, are spending more time looking in the rearview mirror than they are looking forward. Mm. You know, but that this is interesting because this was actually like a question that I was coming into this podcast with. I was making some notes on my writing. Um, and I'll get to that in a second. But um, people are looking backward, but are they seeing it? Are they really seeing what's there or are they seeing a version of what's there that actually never was you know ask any person of color in this country if what they think was true was actually true you know so do you you know the comedian w kamal bell no you're better at comedians than i am well, he does a he does a program that's syndicated over one of the cable networks, CNN or one of those, called United Shades of America. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, W. Kamau Bell is an African-American big guy. I mean, mm -hmm. he's physically big. He's in an interracial marriage. He is incredibly bright mm -hmm. and funny. Mm -hmm. But he does this. He goes around and interviews people. Like he did a whole show interviewing people in the Ku Klux Klan mm. as a black guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we we watched the uh, one of the more recent episodes. It's back on, so people can can Google it and watch it. We watched one of the most more recent episodes that we'd recorded last night about critical race theory. Mm -hmm. And boy, do people have a whole misunderstanding about what critical race theory is. <laughs> yes, they do. I mean, they, they, they had outtakes of a speech that our illustrious Ted Cruz, bless his idiot heart, uh, gave about critical race theory. And <clears throat> there was nothing in anything that he said that was within a country mile of being accurate. And it was just scaring up trouble and yeah. fear and all of that. And the fact is that people who's, who use critical race theory as a bugaboo word are actually saying, we don't want history ac accurately taught. Right. We, we don't want to about, think critically about what, what our history tells us. Yeah. Because they're fearful that it either means that White people are going to be labeled oppressors and black mm -hmm. people are going to be labeled the oppressed. Mm -hmm. And it's not going to be a, 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 this is what happened when kind of story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, critical race theory is a high level legal framework laid over to look at systemic racism and the ways that race impacts people's access to systems, legalities, policies, et cetera, right? It's a legal framework. <laughs> No third grader is learning critical race theory. When W when W. Kamal Bell brought up last night to a group of people that he was talking to who said something like about their they had some negative pushback about systemic racism. And he said, Well, let's talk about redlining. Mm -hmm. And Holly, it was as if they didn't believe that ever existed. Yeah. It's disheartening. And, and, and the truth is that like white, white people largely would be named oppressors and black people and Native Americans and many other people of color would be named oppressed. And I think that like, if we can't sit in that reality that that's part of our history, we're never gonna make it, we're never gonna repair it. You know, and- so they, they, had, yeah. they had one of the, one of the women that was in the, one of the discussion groups that he was running last night was a Native American woman mm -hmm. who um, I don't remember the tribe that she's part of except they recorded this in Arizona in Phoenix and in places around Arizona mm -hmm. so I don't remember what tribe she was but she said that she went to school in Arizona went to public school in Arizona and she was aware that at one time the Native Americans had the entire state of Arizona and then the white man, man yeah. came in, took over the state and put Indians on reservations. She said she went to school to learn about the history of the state of Arizona and her tribe got two paragraphs. Yeah. Yep. 
So that's an example of an inability to, to deal with history more accurately because history is written from the standpoint of the winner mm-hmm. and the standpoint of the power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's um, yeah, my dad once said that to me that the winner gets to write the story. And while that may be sort of a like uh, uh, pessimistic truth, that's the history that I've learned. That's the history I learned, you know, and, and, and it's the one that I'm having to deconstruct and still having to deconstruct uh, the ways in which my, the lens through which I've learned about the world shows up on a daily basis consistently humbles me oh, that's just the way I learned to see it, but that's not true for everyone, right? And right. yeah, and I think that that's, that's part of an embrace of, so that actually leads to the question, and I know you gotta go, <laughs> but the thing that I sort of came in with, you really helped me. Um, I mean, we've talked about this so much over the last couple of years, and you've, you've given a lot of time to what wise spirituality is, but your trinity that you're working with, freedom, truth, and love. Um, truth is complex. Um, because we want to sink into truth as being certainty. So I'd love to know when what I just said was what I thought was true through the lens that I learned was not true for everyone. Um, what's your understanding of truth? Well, I want to parse it out a little bit and mm-hmm. say that there's a difference for me between truth and honesty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, honesty is the ability not to lie yeah. and not to cover up and mm-hmm. not to knowingly shade a story to my advantage. Right. Being, I'm going to be honest with you about this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in, in our common ordinary exchanges, you kind of know when somebody comes up and says, can I be honest with you mm-hmm. that the next sentence is not going to feel good? Yeah right yeah so um what we need to be honest with each other about is just what you just articulated let me tell you my experience Mm -hmm. and have it heard in a way that somebody doesn't say no that's not true Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. my experience is my experience yeah and I was, I was, I, I, I think I have not read Brian McLaren's new book about why he's staying Christian or staying mm-hmm. or going. And I bought the book, but I haven't read it. Might read it on the plane going to England. Um, this is a sad story of the church, mm-hmm. organized religion. When matters of injustice have been brought to the attention of the church there have been two responses one has been oh that may be true but we don't want to distract from preaching the gospel or whatever story it is Mm -hmm. yes there was slavery yes there was prejudice yes there was this however (laughs) and the most recent example of this is people pushing back about the discovery of sexual abuse or the report of sexual abuse in the Southern Baptist Convention, which Mm -hmm. I can talk about because I was raised in that Mm -hmm. convention. Mm -hmm. Southern Baptist church leaders, males, abused young boys and girls. It got covered up. Now that's been exposed, been brought to light. 
and a number of Baptist leaders are saying, we cannot let this distract us from preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to say horse feathers. Mm -hmm. Let's put it on the front burner and look yeah. at it. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. That, that, that has to do with honesty. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I think there's a difference for me, and we'll have to devote another podcast to this, between honesty and truth. Mm -hmm. uh, Carlisle Marnie, my mentor, said, we need to take our head in our hands and stand humbly mm -hmm. in front of every other discipline that knows more than we do to say, teach me what you know. Yeah. And to get out of the position of being so arrogant. And the last two or three Sundays, I've been talking about mature spirituality and mature spirituality. One of the hallmarks is it ain't narcissistic. It ain't mm -hmm. about me. That's right. Yeah, we, yeah. Okay. So we have, we have next week's podcast pre preempted this, this spirituality of we is um, what I, what Prince Kunkel calls it, right? This, the spirituality of we, not I, because the truth is we are all embedded in we. It's like what David Abrams wrote. That's we, we're embedded in a we, we're not embedded in I. And for those of you who want to read the book, I'll tell you, it is, I've not finished it. Holly loves it. It is not, as I said, an easy read for me. Um, but the guy's a magician. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, we'll put that it in the link. Me, that, hooked me, that hooked me immediately that he was a magician. Yeah. Yeah, that's how it starts, actually, is talking about a little bit about magic, isn't it? Gosh, now I can't remember. Well, he goes. He goes to other countries, uh -huh. uh, particularly. I think he's in Peru yeah. and he's in uh, Ecuador and other places, um, trying to learn indigenous how indigenous people interact with their environment right. to produce healing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a fascinating mm -hmm. book. Yeah, all right. good. All righty. Well, we were all over the map today. However, the new telescope, which tells us that we have an expanse of 300 billion light years, gives us a lot of room to move around here. Heck yeah. <laughs> a wide expanse out there. All right. Wide <laughs> keep, all right. Keep doors for all open. See you later. <laughs> all right. Bye.